When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome back to Locked In with Ian Bick, one of the top 200 podcasts for society and culture in America. Thanks to you guys. Much love and appreciations as always. On today's episode, we have an exciting guest, little bit different story because he didn't actually end up going to prison, but he lived a crazy life, went to the military, and ends up getting himself involved in the legal gambling ring and operation. In today's episode, we dive into what exactly caused him to join this operation and how he was able to get out of it before any major ramifications hit his life. Thank you to Factor for continuing to sponsor the Locked In with the Inbic podcast. Factor delivers delicious, fresh, never frozen meals that are ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. You could support our show by heading to factormeals.com slash locked in 50 and use code LOCKEDIN50 to get 50% off your order. As always, guys, remember to give us a like, a subscribe, or a share on YouTube if you're watching the video version of this podcast, or head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from and leave us a review. Sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with Paul Schiffbauer Sr. Paul, welcome to Locked In. Thanks for having me here. Thank Appreciate you for coming. What did you drive three or four hours to make it out here? I think it was about 18. No. 18? No, no, oh, no. wow. Yeah, it, was five, it, was, it was five hours. It was it was a nice trip. I didn't realize coming up here how many mountains there were yeah, this in New is, York. Anytime we have a guest that comes from a far distance, they're always saying how like in the middle of nowhere this place is. And usually I drive a lot of the yeah. guests like from the airports. Uh-huh. Uh, they think I'm kidnapping them oh. every time, but it's a good icebreaker. But it was neat coming, you know, coming around. I'm thinking I thought we'd see more city, mm-hmm. which is, you know, we didn't really see. You don't see the city at all the way we came up. Yeah, because you think New York, New York City, Manhattan. Yeah. When yeah. we have people coming from like other states, that's what they're expecting to see. Yeah. If they're not flying into the New York City airports. And then they're just like surprised that this is New York because yeah. you hear just like city, industrial, yeah. all that. But awesome. Pleasure to have you here. Let's jump into yep. it. Beginning of your story, where are you from? Where were you born? Where did you grow up? I was uh, born in Baltimore. Um, uh, a neat little fact, I was born March 26, 1967, Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday. That's why my parents named me Paul. Not that they're overly religious, but they thought Easter Sunday. Um, when I was four, I had an older sister who was six, uh, my parents thought something was wrong with me. I didn't talk, I didn't cry, I didn't carry on, I didn't do anything. So they took me to the doctors. And when I get to the doctor, uh, he says, uh, you just have a good kid, you know? Because my sister 
nickname was Hurricane. She was all over the place. And he's like, no, you just have a good kid, you know. So then I'll tell another little story. When I was six, you know, I was talking more, getting ready to go to school. Uh, you know, it's half day in kindergarten. And uh, my mother, in fact, my mother's 80 years old. She was t- reminding me of this a couple of weeks ago. She goes, you remember your first day of school? At six, you really don't. And um, she goes, yeah, we get to school when you're like, you know, holding in not to cry. And uh, she's like, Paul, if you don't cry after school, we'll get you whatever you want. And I'm like thinking, thinking, it's like, what do you want? And I said, a Coke and a knife. <laughs> a plastic, it was a plastic knife, you know. And uh, they like, okay, so I got out of school and they gave me a Coke and a knife. So the knife kind of stuck with me because I was always interested in weapons. And the transition from that is when I, I, I got out of high school. I was an honor student, uh, National Honor Society up to 10th grade. 11th and 12th grade, you know, you get involved with the kids and, you know, you stray. And, you know, I never had a C in my life till 10th, like 11th grade. And then a couple of D's in 12th grade. But I was trying to fit in. So I'm like, you know what, you know, I want to be a Fed. That's my goal. In my high school yearbook, I wrote, you know, uh, military. I was going in the U.S. Army, uh, criminal justice degree, and hopefully FBI. It's written in my yearbook. I couldn't uh, plan it better if I wanted to make a movie or something. It's kind of crazy, you know. So, uh, you know, I go in the, go in the military, and uh, my job, I pick a skill job to uh, be basically a gunsmith. So I'm thinking, like, Okay, to further trying to get in the FBI, um, I have the military background. I had a top secret security clearance because of my job. And um, when I get out, you know, I'll get out, transition, you know, to be trying to be a Fed. So after I got out of the military, immediately, you know, I'm trying to become a cop right away. Baltimore Police, Baltimore County, the state, Anne Arundel County, I'm trying all of them. And I'm working in the process, too. Uh, at a hotel where I eventually meet my, my fiance and my wife and my future boss of when I was involved in the, the vending business. So, um, you know, I'm doing the thing, doing the thing, and then, of course, you get sidetracked when you, you're in a relationship. So I, I passed a lot of the things with the, with the police and all, and I'm just kind of waiting, 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 waiting. And um, this is going into meeting my, my wife or dating and all. So at that point, we're, ser- you know, we're getting serious, and um, she starts inviting me around to these family outings. And uh, there's always two people there that everybody wants to you know, gravitate towards, and it was uh, a guy named Phil, who was a uh, Baltimore County Liquor Board judge. He ended up being the longest-serving judge out there. And Sonny, who was my future brother-in-law, future boss. And they always sat in the back, and they talked... They talk lingo that people really didn't understand and all. And they started asking me questions early on when I was going to these functions. And mind you, I'm still trying to city police, get in there, school. I'm going to go to school. That's my, I'm, that's my career. That's what I want to be. And they start asking me questions and this and that. And they find out, you know, they're thinking, like, this guy wants to be a, you know, a cop and a fed. He's, he's a straight shooter, you know. And Sonny's thinking, like, and Phil's thinking, like, you know, He'd be a good guy to, you know, help you with your business because it's it's all cash. It's it's you know the vending business. It's all at that time. It's just ca- it's cash. There's no credit card machines. It's just strictly cash. So, um, you know, after about five or six times, you know, these parties. They had a party. It my it was crazy. My my buddy Phil, who were friends till he died, um, he was uh, my kids called him Uncle Phil. 
he wasn't family, but he was family to the business and family to us in a sense. He had he had actually uh, walked my wife down the aisle. We got married. That's how close we were. So, um, uh, you know, eventually, you know, they talked me into taking this job and it, under the premise that, you know, there was an 18 month to two year hold to become, they become a cop. And that was the first step, become a cop, get in there, finish my schooling, criminal justice, and then move on. Either go the ballistic route with the FBI through my, you know, my, my army career or try to be a field agent. Either one, either one that's what I wanted to do. So, uh, one night, uh, they, you know, I think, okay, maybe I'll work for these guys. So one night I'm at the hotel. Um, this is probably almost a year into us dating. We're, we're a series now because we're planning a wedding. And Sonny had came in the hotel. He would stay there a couple of nights a week um, for visit because he would be in town to do collections, you know, and all the collections were done early in the morning because you wanted to do it early because you don't want to get stuck up, you know, because there's always a risk of that. And he always said, I want to be out early before people start stirring, you know, get in and out. So he came to the hotel this one night and he's like, hey, you know, I got off at 11. And he said, hey, can you come up to my, you know, my hotel room and you get off? And I got off at 11. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll come up. So I'm thinking like, I'm pretty sure he's going to offer me a job or ask me to do something for him. And my my fiance, my, my wife now saying, I, I think so too. Just listen to what he has to say. So I get off, I go up there, and he's, he's sitting in the room. He's, he was a big smoker. I mean, he, he smoked. I mean, he was always smoking. I mean, every, back then, you could smoke everywhere. He always had a cigarette in his mouth. And I go up there, and he's talking about immediately his business, what he does. I have an vending company. I bought it for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, I have some problems. I'm dealing. It's all cash. We're talking, you know, he wasn't one of the biggest operators, but he was pretty big. I mean, he was making fifty, sixty thousand a week. You know, is it a lot of money? It's a lot of money in the sense that you place poker machines out in bars and restaurants, and there's really no work. You know, you loan them some money, they sign a five-year contract, and you just collect the money. Occasionally, they break down, you fix them, you do whatever. So he's telling me at the business, and they had pool tables and jukeboxes and things like that too. And so he says, "I'd like you to come work for me." You know, I'm thinking like, well, you know, I want to be a you know, fed and this and that. I don't know if, I said, I don't know if this is for me because, you know, the, is there a legality with these poker machines and all? And he's trying to say, oh, it's a gray area. And it was, it was a gray area because these things at that time were classified as amusement only devices. Like but, what you would see with the rental company is like that? a, like a, like a Pac-Man machine. Yeah. You know, it's amusement only. It was only illegal if you got caught paying off on them. Like exchanging money. money. Yeah. It was gambling, you know. So, you know, it's, he said, so, you know, and I said, well, I'm not sure what I want to do. And so he had his briefcase by the floor and he lays his briefcase up and he pops it open. And there's stacks, I mean, there's stacks of money in this briefcase. It's like six stacks bundled. Boom, 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 boom. And I'm looking at it. And he goes, this is my, he had a partner time. He goes, this is my, my cut for the week. And I said, yeah, it's a lot of money. So he, he grabs a stack and he throws it to me, you know, catch it. It's 5,000 bucks, you know, bundled up, you know. I said, man, this is more money than I made my first year in the Army. Yeah, it's 5,000 bucks. He goes, you know, I, you know, he's like, I trust you. I think I know you. And he goes, I want you to come work for me. And he says, uh, you know, I'll start you out. You can go, you can, uh, you start working with the, the cigarette guy. You're, you'll run the cigarette route. 
He worked with every guy because it was important that every single account knew my face. You know, because you just don't wear a shirt that says Bob's vending and you walk in there and you're open a machine that has $10,000. It doesn't work like that. Everybody had to know me. So I'm like, I, I don't know. You know, I'm holding this money thinking of it. He goes, he goes, I'll tell you what. And uh, at the time, you know, Baltimore City Police was starting. This was 19, this is 1990. I think the starting salary, salary was 21000 a year, which I, get, you know, was, I guess that was decent. Coming out of the Army, I think I was making, my last year in the Army, I was making $899 a month. But they were paying all your expenses, like living, food. Oh, yeah, if I lived in the barracks. Yeah, I wasn't married. So if you live in the barracks, you got food. You have to buy your own clothes. I mean, but you had, you had food, you had medical, you had shelter, and you had all the all the uh, uh, tent space you want when you go play war games. I mean, because you're constantly... Yeah. I was in Germany for three and a half years. There was still a threat of the Russians. So we played a lot of war games, and we uh, we trained a lot. I mean, so we spent a lot of times in the woods. So how old are you when they offer you this $5,000? Well, I was 23, so... That's a lot of money for a 23-year-old. So this is how, what he did. He says, it wasn't just the $5,000. He goes, I'm holding it. And he says, what if I start you... I'll start you at $35,000 a year. And I'm thinking like, 35000 I don't know anything about this business. Like, you know, the police could have started at 21. I think the feds at the time were probably 30-ish maybe at that time. And I see, he goes, and you know, Phil, he's a judge. He knows everybody in Baltimore County. Phil knew everybody. He was out there so long in Baltimore County. He knew city, city officials. He knew state senators, state congressmen. I mean, I, he was a big man. I joked, he rubbed elbows with everybody. So he was a guy, family, but he knew everybody. If we needed to talk to somebody or straighten something out or get something squared away, he would point us in the right direction. So he offers me $35,000 a year. And I'm thinking like, and he goes, look, in 18 months, say two years, Phil will get you right in there. You know, he, he works for Baltimore County. He's a judge there. He'll get you in there, no job. Yeah, no job, he'll get you, he'll get you in there. And I said, I said, All right, okay, you know, it, you know, if you think it's safe and it's not gonna cause me any problem with my you know, future career, I'll, I'll, I'll take it, you know? So I get ready to throw the money back to him. He's like, no. That's all yours, brother. He goes, that's a bonus, sign a bonus. I'm like, you're, you're giving me, I, I just haven't worked a day for you, give me five grand. He goes, yeah, it's all your brother. He goes, tell, tell, tell Anne, tell you know, my future wife. Don't tell her, I don't care. That's your, that's your money, you keep it. And I'm like thinking like, I'm like kind of like on this high, like, man, you know, because I never had $5,000 at that point, ever let alone having it in my hands. So that's kind of how he got me involved in the business. You didn't think there was any red flags at that point? Or does the money just consume your mind that it, it alleviates any red flags? You know, the money, I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't stupid. I was an honor student and all. And, but I'm thinking like, how can I, you know, maybe I can use them in a way, make some money, try to stay out of trouble, um, and, uh, eventually I'll get in, you know, you know, he'll, he'll do what he said, Phil will pull some strings and I'll, I'll get in the, you know, get in the police department and then move on with what I want to do. Um, but there's always a catch. Always. Did you guys grow up with money or, or no, my so dad, you guys are, yeah. no, no, my, my dad, my dad worked three jobs of us growing up. Um, uh, starting out when I was a kid, I don't remember this. He was a milkman. He was one of these guys 
who came to your house with the glass bottle, the glass bottles in the little thing. And, and, yeah, he was. That's what he did. He was wow. a milkman when we were kids, and he, and he teased. He always had this story. He had terrible scars on his calves, and I'm like, Dad, why do you have all the? He goes, Well, certain houses where I would deliver milk, you know, they had dogs. And one house was a two donut dog, one was a three. So we'd throw these donuts, and he knew one dog would be three donuts, one, two, three. And he'd run, he'd run, get the bottles and leave, but sometimes he'd get bit. One time he got bit so bad, I mean, that the, uh, he, and he never was like suing anybody. My dad was like old school. He just, he just would deal with it. And he was cut pretty bad, had it, and the, the people insisted they paid all his medical bills and all. But then later on, as I got older, he ended up working for General Motors, which was a good job. Um, he had 38 years there, and he, re, he retired from that. So, uh, But we all, at a young age, we all had to work. At, like, I worked at 14 because they didn't have, you know, if I went to go to the movies twice a week, they couldn't afford that, my parents, because there were three other kids. I mean, they could send me once, but if I wanted to go two or three times, I had to have, you know, I had to have some money. So we all, all my brothers and sisters, we all had that work ethic where we would, we started working early and we, we, we do whatever we had to do. So, um, at side story, it was like my mother would make comments when I was, uh, when I got in that business and she, she was finding out about it. She always did. She would make comments, you know, like, you know, I wasn't, you know, I was born yesterday. I wasn't born yesterday, but I know about this stuff and all and she, and she told me one day, she goes, Paul, she goes, when you were a kid, you know, some of the neighborhood kids would come over that my mother didn't like. She goes, I wouldn't let you play with them. You were sick. You couldn't come out. Uh, you were getting a bath. She goes, these people you're running around with now are those kids that I refuse to let you play with. You know, parents know. They, they know. have that sense. They like, know. I, I would, my dad would do that back in the day. Like, he would, I got a bad feeling about this group of kids. They, and they're right. And, of course, when you're younger, you're like, ah, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, they're I go, good people. I get the yeah. same things from my, my sons. Yeah, I'm sure you do that to your kids. You know, now. and they're like, Dad, you know, like, yeah, I do know what I'm talking about. I've been through a few things. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there's always a catch with, with, with the money. And, and um, so... The quick thing, two weeks later, I gave my notice at the hotel because my wife was my boss. Um, and I gave my two weeks, and then um, I'm in the business. I, I'm, I'm there. I show up. And which I thought was odd when I show up, his partner didn't know anything about this. He didn't know. He just hired me. And he didn't know he hired me at 35 grand a year. He's like, we don't pay our top mechanics $35,000 a year. This guy off the street, which I'm, I'm going to be family. I'm going to be his, you know, I'm his future brother-in-law. So, he, you know, Sonny ran things, you know, like Sonny would pull me aside. He goes, look, you know, Iris, the president, CEO, vice president, I'm the treasurer. And he said, I'm the treasurer for a reason, because if they kick the door in, they're not getting me. They're getting the president of the country. Now, mind you, Sonny was like a genius. He's like 140, you know, but his whole mindset was all the years when I was picking things up was about crime, was about how he can make money. You know how he can do things, and um, I, I kind of picked that up, picked it up, picked it up, picked it up. So eventually, I kind of worked my way out of it down the road. Why do you think you wanted to go into law enforcement? Um, it's so I, bad. I mean, I, I wanted to help people. I mean, it's like. But was that the real reason? Like looking back on it, or did it like probably because cool? I wanted to carry a gun? Is that that was it? Yeah, but, yeah, but I carried a gun anyway. I think. I mean, <laughs> I, we were talking earlier. I wanted to be an FBI agent yeah, yeah. all through high school yeah. up until like sophomore year until I started planning events. I was like fixated on it. 
Um, and it's interesting that to become an FBI agent, you need to have like top grades, like the top academics grades. need to be there. I mean, and like have like nothing on your record. I mean, yeah. like no blemishes. And I, I didn't have, uh, I still don't, I, well, no, I still don't have a record per se. <laughs> I mean, I mean, but you know, there's incidents where I could, it could have been bad, but I, I got out of certain things. So now that you're older and you're looking back on it, do you realize that you kind of like threw away your childhood dreams to go down this path over essentially money in a way because you got fixated on that? Yeah, I really got, I mean, I got two things that got me sucked in was being 23 and, you know, when you were 23 and you had money. Well, I was in prison at 23. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> well, well, you know, they would take, you know, it was like, it was like a wine and dine type thing. And, and I always say too, it was kind of like cops and robbers because when I got in it and really knew the business, we were always, you know, we wouldn't say certain things on the phone. We all had radios in our cars, you know, we wouldn't say certain things on the radios. We always watched when we went in and out of accounts, who was, who was around. If we were out drinking, because part of the job was going out drinking in bars trying to get accounts. Because we have accounts that you want to keep, a lot, of them, a lot of them are under contract, but you can risk losing them when the contract's up. So you're always trying to draw more more accounts in, which which costs money. But um, you know, part of what sucked me in it besides the money was when we went out to some of our clubs. We had a lot of little rinky-dink bars, corner bars, and all, but we had nightclubs too that we, you know, they gave them hundred grand, loaned them hundred grand, that put poker machines in there. When we would walk in, these places were packed. You know, I'm, you know, I'm 23, I'm walking in, I'm, you know, and he, he had the gold, you know, he looked like, he looked like a made guy. I mean, he wasn't. I mean, these, all these guys, all these operators were, it was, it was organized, but it wasn't, it was organized crime, but it wasn't La Costa Rosa. It wasn't the Italian mob, but they all met and they all knew each other. But so when we would walk in these clubs, he'd bring me in there. I mean, uh, we'd walk in, they're like the bartender. You, 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 get up. And these guys are like, what the fuck? And they're like getting mad. They're like, get up. And they're like, what are, they're like thinking like, why the fuck are we getting up? And sometimes these are big dudes. And I'm thinking like, man, I got to fight for the seat. You know, what are we doing? And so they get, they go, they're machine men. Oh shit. And they get up. They just jump up because they knew, you know, we were called machine men because we poker machines and this and that. We, we carried money, and like I said, eventually after a few months, I started carrying carrying guns. Why? Why did they call it a vending machine business, though? Because was that the front for the whole thing or the cover up? The front. It was actually it was legal. It was legal to have a vending company. And but vending, at, you guys weren't doing like chips or, or like like chips and sodas, right? It was, yeah. Initially, they had coffee and snack, but they okay. got rid of that because there's no money in that. So they shifted it very quickly. They, they, they had coffee and snacks, and they also had the vending business. So when when he when Sonny bought in two years before I got involved, he sold all the coffee and snacks because you're making pennies. Okay. The money was, you know, we had 110 cigarette stops, and like 55 were bars where we had poker machines, jukeboxes, things like, and that's where you make all your money. That's where like the push the the old cigarette machines. I was in Texas a couple months you ago. Push and I it saw, you push it. Well, you yeah. pull the handle. Most of them where you pull the handle, or you have the big ones where you push it. And that was back when bars you could smoke you could in smoke. the bars. Yeah. yeah. And we had them in like convenience stores. We had them in like. Uh, you know, uh, catering halls. I mean, we had them everywhere. But, um, you know, th the thing was, these things, you know, were legal under the guise of amusement only. So when you showed up on this first day, is it like a warehouse? Yeah. Like you're 23 it's, years it's old. Crazy. It's yeah. crazy. The guy, the, his co-owner didn't know I was coming in. The secretary's like, uh, she's trying to ask me questions. He's like, just sit down. 
and then but he had all the guys there, all the guys that worked there. Now, mind you, you just don't you don't come off the street saying, "Hey, I want to come work for you." It don't work like that because of the you know the illegality of things you're doing. You know? But you didn't know anything was illegal at the time. You might have had suspicions. I, yeah, I but... had suspicion. He he kind of put it as, "I'll just you know you'll run the cigarette route," which is you know it's legal. You run cigarette route, you know. And that was normal. Yeah. Normal, and then you you help my move move machines around and maybe learn to fix them. So you thought it was a regular full time regular job. gig. I'm yeah. going to do it 18 months to two years. I'm going to make 35 grand a year. And you're happy. I'm happy. My future wife's happy. We're saving for a house. You have no kids yet at this time. No kids yet. No, okay. no. So I go in the shop and it's a bunch of ragtag guys back there. You know, I mean, it's, you know, uh, the, it, what the, 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 the cigarette guy, we called him Butt Man Dave. Cig butt, cigarette butts, Butt Man Dave. And it had, a night mechanic we call Two Gun Al. This guy had carried two guns, you know. <laughs> the mechanic carried two, two guns. guns. Yeah, two Why is a mechanic carrying guns? That's well, not a red flag? Or? Well, yeah. <laughs> then again, another red flag. I mean, I was seeing these things, but I'm, you know, you're like, oh, uh, you know. The money may be blind. Two, I, I can deal with this. I'll deal with this for two years because I'm not going to be doing all that. Mm. You know, I'm telling him I'm not going to be doing all that. And then the day of mechanics and then the collector. So I, and, and he tells all the guys back there, you know, you're going to, I had to run with everybody, you know, because everybody had to know me. Every, all the bartenders, all the bar owners, you know, every single account, cigarette accounts, they had to know who I was, you know. Like I said, because anybody can come in with a set of keys and say, oh, I work for Joe's Vent. I, I, I've never seen you before. I've had them call, like when I was new and I had keys on my own, and they weren't familiar. Maybe it was a different bartender there. They would call the shop. Do you have a guy that looks like this? Says his name's this, you know, just to make sure. They wouldn't let you go near the machine, thinking I'm going to rob, you know, steal, rob or something. Yeah. Just to verify it. So um, I, I did all that. I ran with everybody. Everybody got to know me. And then then it started getting interesting when I was, I was getting ready to do the collections. And I think the first, the very first time that I'm realizing, because you're talking about the illegality, was when I'm, I'm running with this guy named Rob. He's the, he's a he's a mechanic and he's a mover. He's this this big black fella. He's like six foot four, three hundred eighty pounds. And Sonny's telling me he goes, you know, you get him out there, you move his ass, you make him move. I'm like, who the hell's making this guy move? He's three hundred eighty pounds. He's six foot four, you know. So I'm I show up at the shop early and we're moving. We're supposed to move some equipment around. So we're taking off and then we hear over the radio. It's Janice. She radio, she's radioing Sonny, says, we got hit. The, the 19th hole, we got hit. Police are there. And I'm listening in because we can hear all the conversation. And Sonny's like, he knew me and Rob were in the truck. He goes, you guys get down there. They gave us 15 minutes to open, come down to open the machines up or they'd smash them up with sledgehammers. That was being nice because usually they didn't. They smash the shit out of them, take all the money out of them, take the computer board, and then they call you up and say, Come clean your mess up. And each machine was about 2500 bucks. But these guys said, they gave us a courteous 15 minutes show up, open them up, you know, so. The cops. The cops. So they they, they notified, you got 15 minutes. We were close, thank God. We Why close. do they need to get into the machines? They're taking all the money. It's a raid. Oh, because, but I thought that part's the illegal part of the business, no? Yeah, they got, see, this, this place got popped paying off a cop. Uh, so they were just taking everything. So what they do is they, they go in there, you know, they act like, and these guys that are undercover, you wouldn't know. They got long beards. They look like 
Like the movies. They look like vagrants, you know? Yeah. And so this guy was in there playing a the machine, and he got, he was, you hang for a while. You try to get to know the bartenders and all, and he got paid off. And so they get the warrant, so they come in, that they're doing a raid. They come in there, they're doing a raid. So we get down there, and it was the craziest thing. I tell the story in one of the, one of the stories I have out there. And we walk in the place, they're like, who the fuck are you? And we're like, we're in this big truck, says Bill's, Bill's Amusement. Like, we fucking work for the vending company. And so Sonny told Rob, tell Paul, don't say shit. Because I, I, I hadn't been on a raid before. I was just starting to learn everything. This is the first interaction with police. So he goes, don't say shit. Say as little as possible. If they ask you something, you just move equipment around. You know. So we go in there, and it's fucking, it's, it's fucking nuts. We go in there, and it's like it's snowing inside the bar. I'm like, what the fuck is going on in here? They had these ceiling tiles, and the uh, cops are in here with this pool stick. Bang, they're banging these tiles. Bang, I'm like thinking, why the fuck are they banging these tiles? And like the flakes are coming down everywhere. So me and Rob walk in. They go, who has the, who have the keys? Rob raises his hand. They go, come open those machines up. And we're just thankful they didn't smash the machines up because they're tearing this fucking bar up. And why they're tearing the bar up? Because they're looking for the register. Because when you, when you get raided, they, they, they associate every penny in that bar with illegal gambling. So they're going to take your register money, any money in the safe, they clean you out. They take all the money out of the machines, every penny in that bar. Even though it's owned by a different company, the machines. Yeah. Yeah, because it says on the machine, for amusement only, we don't condone gambling. We, we just put it in there, you know. So that that's the cover for the operators, you know. So... They stop knocking these tiles down, and they're, they're one guy's behind the bar. Just, just give us the drawer. Just sh- give us your money. Then we'll get the fuck out of here. They got the money out of the machines. It was like 3000 bucks. They put it on the bar. They count it. They give you a ticket. Give the owner a ticket. The owner, not us. And then they're dumping out his coffee. They're dumping out his sugar. They, fuck, they start smashing bottles. Then they go back and knocking the tiles. And I'm thinking, like, what the fuck? So in the meantime, I get pulled aside by one of the cops. And I'm like, like holy shit, what's, you know? He's like, who are you? I'm like, I just, I just, uh, I just started working here. I'm just moving equipment around. And I was nervous. And he's like, uh, give me your ID. I give my ID. I am shaking, give my ID, you know. And because uh, I never really, I mean, I had speeding tickets and all, but not like this kind of interaction, you know, because I'm, I'm realizing at this point, hey, this is right. This is fucking right. These guys are getting raided. So he pulls me aside. He's asked me questions. What do you do for a company? I said, officer, I just started. I'm just moving equipment around. I don't, you know. You know, they're using these machines for gambling. I said, I don't know anything about that. I, I just move them around, you know. And uh, he's like, how long have you been doing this? I said, a couple months. He's like, you need to find another line of work. That's what he told That's me. That's what he told me. Wow. <laughs> so, so I go about my way. So they're still messing. They're still knocking the place up. They're just tearing these tiles up. And then Rob finally gets the ass and says, officer in the floor drain. The money's in the floor drain. So the owner of the place, I think his name was Jarrell Robinson, he screams at Rob, starts calling him all kinds of names. So the cop goes behind the bar, he pulls the, the drain out of the floor, and there's a mason jar in there. Pulls it, there's 1500 bucks in there. That's where he hid his money at night. He didn't have a safe. He put it in the mason jar, put it in the drain. Who's going to bust in the joint and think there's money in the drain? So he's cussing, nah, nah, nah. and, and uh, then they stop banging the place up. That's all they wanted. Just give him the money up. So he leaves, and how, this is how, how it works. And I'll explain it through through Rob telling telling uh, Jarrell. So the police are like, okay, 
and we're waiting around. They're like, okay, they got the boards, they got the money. There's a circuit board. Rob, he lets Rob take the circuit board out. Where normally this would tear it out and destroy the machine. He let him take a circuit board out. He gives it to him, and then we're we're standing around waiting. And they're like, "What are you waiting for?" Rob goes, "We're just waiting. We're just waiting." So they put the paperwork down, and and Rob's like, "You guys finished?" He's like, "Yeah, we're we're done." So they leave the paperwork on the bar to the owner, and they walk out. They're done. So this is how this is how they operate. So. Terrell starts hollering at Rob. Hey, why'd you tell him that you know about the fifteen hundred bucks? He's like, "Look, dude, they're going to find that money, and they're going to break everything in this bar up till they found that money." And he says, "This is how this is how it works. This is how all the operators work. It's not written down. So if I, if we we that account we loaned like twenty five or they loaned twenty five grand over you know they got five years of paid back. So and they get their money back pretty quick within a year. So." You get your money back within a year. You're, you're taking 500 a week or whatever. Then you have four-year ride, you know. So uh, he told him, uh, you know, the deal is it's not written down because it implicates the, the operators, the vendors, that if you get rated, if they get rated, what happens is, you know, uh, they come in. Sonny came down with two boards for one. So Rob puts these boards back on the machine, locks it up, boom, we're up and running. As soon as they walk out, 15 minutes later, we're up and running. So he gets a receipt, three thousand dollars from the poker machines, counts out fifteen hundred bucks, gives it to the borrower. That that would be his app, you know. So we eat the fifteen grand. And then he said, What did he take? What kind of money you take for your retro? Fifteen hundred bucks. Fifteen hundred bucks. You're whole. He gives him a business card. What's this? This is the lawyer that's gonna represent you in court that we take care of. So it's not costing them anything but grief. And Rob had told him, you know, why he showed him where the money was because Sonny had to pitch in for the damage, you know, for all the tiles and some other shit. So Rob tried to stop a bad situation from the place where they get wrecked up by these guys. So, you know, they were a front for us. They were gambling for us. Nod, nod, wink, wink. We were just, hey, we just put it. We didn't know, we didn't know there was gambling going on in there. Is that, was that an old saying in a hopper you go, maybe I think? There's gambling going on in here, you know. I think it's uh, an well, old. Well, I, think it's an, time, I think it's but, an old movie. It's, yeah. it's it's something like that. But um, that, so this is like your real sense, your real taste. That's my. That there's something that's like six going months, on. six months in it, and I didn't like the fact that they had my my name, but I wasn't being drugged to court. It was just the owner of the bar. But like I said, he's covered. He's got a lawyer. We pay the court cost. He was whole with all the money he lost. The lawyer's being paid for. Court's being paid for, fines are being paid for. He's up and running. He's back in the business. The, so your company, your your boss's company, pays for all that because oh, yeah, yeah. they need to keep him going. Yeah, and that's how they all operate it. That's how all the that's how all of them now, operate. It. What kind of gambling games are they? Are they're they slots or are they just like what they're, is it? They're, they're cabinet poker machines. They're the two ones that we the two ones that we had out there. Your standard five card draws. There weren't slot. There weren't there weren't handles because that's too much slotty. You know, buttons. You know. Hit a button, put your money in. Is it digital? Is there? So yeah, they screen rolls. Is you know? it like an old Pac-Man system? I'm just trying to picture. It's it. it's, a, it's an old. If you Google, you know, old poker, it's just five card draw. They don't exist anymore. Oh, they're still out there. Oh yeah, they're still out there. And then the other ones we had were called eight line machines, where you had you could bet eight lines, and they would spin. You know, it would spin, and you get bell bonus and things like that. So that's the kind of machines they were. And uh, like I said, every once in a while, you know. You know 
the the political people would try to outlaw them, you know. So we would try to stay ahead of them through through connections, and they we would bribe them, but they call it political donations, you know. So aren't these are these machines like if a cop goes up and plays it, does it does it on the outside look like it's just like an imaginary winning and not a real winning? Because that's a gambling aspect. If there's actual money being well, exchanged, way, how the, how you get popped? This is how you get popped because. I had I owned the, the my bar was called the Curb Shop. I owned it twenty three years. Never got popped. So you had these machines too. Oh yeah, oh yeah. When I got when I got out, I kept my bar and I kept my machines for myself. Okay, and we'll get into that. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know what happens is for for you to get busted, uh, three things have to happen. So you you're playing the machine, playing the machine, playing the machine. Okay, you see say two thousand points secure. You know you want to. So if it's a quarter machine. Twenty-five percent is five hundred bucks, right? So what the police the police have to see these things happen. They have to see so that means they have to sit in close proximity to where the machines are. And a lot of our bars, we had machines like angled, like certain ways where, at least in my place, they were in the corner in the front, and there weren't there weren't any seats close. So if you're playing the machines, the nearest seat was like maybe eight nine feet away. So you you really got to like. You know, so you know you're a cop, you know. So the cops have to see the points secure, you know, acquire 2,000 points. Then they have to see the points disappear because we had knockoff switches like car, you know, garage door opener. We had it behind the bar. So if somebody would hit the machine, usually, like at my place, they were trained. I said, just sit your ass down. Don't say a fucking thing. And they would sit there. And, and then when I thought it was clear, I would get them the money. If there was somebody, one person at bar didn't know, I didn't give them any money. So the cops had to see the points disappear. Then they had to see you physically handing them money. And that always came from the bartender? The bartender. Interesting. So it doesn't come from the machine like it is now. No, no. Nothing, okay. nothing spits out. So it wasn't out. that sophisticated. No, nothing spits out of the machine. But do they insert money into Oh, yeah. It? Take, yeah. But that's fine for amusement bill purposes. Bill acceptor. Yeah, yeah. Bill acceptor on. Interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's, yeah. that's cool. So now at that moment when this raid, this first raid you experienced happens... What do you think is going through your mind that you're not like, all right, I, I want to stay focused on my police career. I can't be involved with this. I'm going to just find something else until that. Well, I had, well, it was, Sonny knew I was a little shaken up, you know. So he, he takes me out to dinner, you know, we're going out to dinner. And he stayed in town a couple of nights a week because he, he ran around a lot with his wife. And I found out that, like that week when that raid happened, he takes me out to dinner. And we're going to one of our accounts. He's like, you know, this doesn't this doesn't happen all the time, and you know, this you know, trust me, you know, it's you know, it's cool, da, da, da. you know, uh, it's it's rare, you know, you know, they, they got your name, but nothing's going to happen to you. The bar owner's charge, not you. You said the right thing. You just move machines around. So uh, then these two girls come walking in this bar, and, and the reason I noticed them because it, they were stunning. I'm thinking like they're too overdressed for this freaking bar, you know. Now Sonny Monty was 20 years older than me, you know, and they come walking over and they they know Sonny. So this one broad kisses him on the mouth, hey, how are you? And I'm thinking like, what the fuck is he about to get me into? And this other chick comes around and, and I'm I'm I've been faithful to my wife 34 years, and this other girl comes walking around. And she puts her head on my shoulder, and she says, buy me a drink, handsome. I think like fuck is going on and I'm like yeah I put some money up and he's like smiling he's like yeah. and I find out later on that his whole his whole thing was he 
He always wanted to get something on somebody so he can control you. You know, I found that out through conversation with Phil later on. But thank God that particular time my pager goes off. You know, and he's like, oh, ignore that, ignore that. We're going to have some fun. I said, no, no, man, I got to get this call. So we had an answering service after hours where we would call in, you know, the shop closed at five and it went to an answering service, but real people answered. And it was one of the good stops. They had, uh, we had three machines there. We made a lot of money there. And one of the machines was jammed up, you know? So I said, I got to get over there, man, because there's people lined up to play these machines. They can't put money in it. We're losing money. He's, oh yeah, yeah, you got to get over there. Because you're coming back right. I said, no, 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 I'm done. I'm going home, you know, because I wasn't getting wrapped up with this, with this girl who apparently was for me. And uh, he goes, all right, all right, when you get home, these girls went out and I was with you all night. I said, hey, ain't no problem. So I'm starting to learn to pick these, you know, pick these things up. So that was a play for him, I guess, to try to try to get something on me, you know. And he, he tried that several times all the years I worked with him. And I just, I didn't fall for that shit, you know, because I saw what he did to people. You know, it was either money or he got pictures on one state senator once when they took him to Vegas. And uh, that guy never voted against a bill that tried to alarm our machines. I recently found out that Factor offers cold-pressed juices. I tried the pineapple turmeric basil, and it's so good. 10 out of 10 would recommend it. Guys, you have to try Factor's cold-pressed juices. With the busy fall season just right around the corner, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for jam-packed days. This is my first fall season being the host of a podcast, which is an extremely busy time of the year for the industry. So I'm happy I found Factor to get my meals from. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. This September, get Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, and enjoy eating well without the hassle. You choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door. Ready in just two minutes? No prep, no mess. Head to factormeals.com slash lockedin50 and use code lockedin50 to get 50% off your order. I didn't understand the concept of being busy until I started this podcast and soon realized how limited my time is and how easy it is to lose track of time throughout the day. With Factor, I could keep my energy up with lunch to go, effortless, wholesome meals like grain bowls and salad toppers that are ready to eat when you're on the go. No microwave required. And it gets better, guys. You can choose to level up with the Gourmet Plus options, prepared to perfection by chefs and ready to eat in record time. Treat yourself to upscale meals with premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus. Head to factormeals.com slash lockedin50 and use code lockedin50 to get 50% off. That's code LOCKEDIN50 at factormeals.com slash LOCKEDIN50 to get 50% off your order. Yeah, what would they do um, to, to try to like um, divert laws from getting passed and whatnot in this? Well, after when I was uh, started doing a lot of collecting and all, then it was like he goes, I started going to political functions. And um, I met, you know, future mayors, future governors, uh, a lot of state senators, you know, from Annapolis, not the U.S. Senate, but state senators, state congressmen, um, a couple of U.S. congressmen. And um, he, 
he made sure he knew a lot of these people. So what they would do, there was, there was like probably dozens of operators, vendors, but there was like five main, five main ones that had probably 85% of all the action. And Sonny was in that, that group. And the biggest guy was Joe Rockon. He had about a, he probably had 150 poker stops. I mean, this guy was making 150, 200,000 a week. I mean, and you know, these guys, there was reports on, I think in 2006, you can look it up, it was called the Abel Report. And they were talking about how these guys, these operators, these machine guys were, uh, weren't paying taxes in hundreds of millions of dollars, which they weren't. They just paid what they had to. That was it. So we would go to these meetings, you know, like every other month, once a month. It was kind of like to work out any grievances because they didn't want to, like I said, they weren't out shooting people like the mob. And they would talk about, you know, don't step on my toes or if this guy's not happy with me, maybe I'll sell you his account if he's got a couple of years left on the contract. So they'd try to work things out. And usually Phil would show up because Phil knew everybody in Annapolis. And all of a sudden, and these these I can say it rotten some of the bitches. These guys, every couple of years, they'd put a bill up on purpose. So key senators knew what we were up to, you know. But they would tell the guys that didn't like our business, hey, put a bill up saying we're going to totally outlaw these things. They're done. No amusement, only nothing. And so somebody would craft a bill. So Phil would come to these meetings and say, hey, there's a bill coming coming out. And the whole six years I was there, probably four or five times they did this. And Phil would say, man, there's a bill coming out. You know, uh, it's going to totally outlaw all these machines. Now, mind you, these guys are making big bucks. I mean, they're, and they're also, they're also chipping it out. They're going to these functions. They're buying, they're buying uh, tickets for functions that didn't exist. You know, like they would say, hey, I got a function coming up. You know, can you buy some tickets? You bought tickets. There was no function. Not all the time. It was just to get money. So this one particular time, uh, he's like, this bill's coming out. And they're like, Sonny's like, well, all right, what, what do they want to stop it? That was a deal. How much to stop it? And it feels like they want 100 grand. It's all cash. Just spread it around. And um, they acted like it was a lot of people. It was, it was a few people in Annapolis on the Senate side and the House side that controlled everything. And those were the guys that were getting, getting the money. So how many people they paid off, I don't know. They could have pocketed the money themselves, the, the two key people. But, you know, you show the money out, that bill goes away. You know, it sounds like Ozark right now. Have you seen Ozark? I've seen Ozark. Yeah. yeah. But Ozark to me was kind of over the top. I mean, because... But it does happen in the it world. Do, it right? does happen. And my mother told me too, another thing she said, you're too young to be so cynical. Because when I was at some of these functions, you know, I'm meeting, you know, uh, future mayors. I'm shaking her hands. And they didn't know my name, but they knew I was with these guys with money. You know, because I was privy to hanging out with them and doing things. And then, like, say there's women around hanging out. And they're all kissing the babies and all this shit. And But some of these guys were fucking scumbags. I mean, like as my mother said, she wouldn't let me hang out with these people. But these guys were voted, being voted in office, you know. And it just, like, I'm thinking, like, man, is, it, is the world that fucking corrupt? I mean, it's just just on that local level, you know, shelling out 100 grand to kill a bill. But then all year long, you're donating to uh, their campaign, $10,000 here. It's all influenced by money. It's all influenced because, you know, now, now in Maryland, now they have slots. So it's kind of, you know, these machines aren't as, you know, rampant as it was. But back then it was her piggy bank. 
But they do that now anyways with real estate deals. Like you see oh, when yeah, they want to yeah. build, I've seen in Danbury yeah. where I live, you know, they wanted to build like a, a sports betting place and they shot it down and it's all influenced yeah. by money. Who has yeah. the power? Yeah. Do you think that still happens on a it larger happen. scale? It does yeah. happen. After seeing that firsthand? Yeah. And it's like, you know, on, the, on that level, that local level, you know, whether it's the Annapolis or the city council or the Baltimore, Baltimore County Council, I mean, it was much smaller dollar. Mind you, it was the 90s. The amounts were much smaller, but it went on. If you wanted to get something done, it got done if you had money. I'll give you another exa example of things getting done. Sonny had had, he lived out of state. And back then, like, states weren't tied together as far as, you know, like, uh, I guess, with the, with traffic or something. It's like, took a, it took a while for, like, states to interconnect with, with information. And he had lost his license in Maryland when he lived there and failure to peers and things like that. And he'd moved out of state, got another license out of state. He just totally ignored, you know, the fines and shit he had to pay in Maryland. Well, he got pulled over one night and got locked up. Failure to go to court and pay all these tickets and all. So he's, he's pissed off. He gets Phil, judge, the judge, buddy, come over and bail him out of jail. It's funny, a judge bailing you out of jail. So um, he's like, man, he goes, I got, I got like, you know, $10,000 and this and that, da, da, da. You know, they want to put me in jail because it's been like five years. And I didn't go to court and this and that. He thought he'd never get a ticket in Maryland. So Phil says, well, I know this senator. And, and back then, senators were in charge. And it still are in different areas, you know, agriculture, you know, education. And this one senator was in charge of the DMV, the Department of Motor Vehicles. So he sets up a meeting with them. And they didn't. The senators didn't like come around shops. They were careful where they met. And the same thing, they don't like talking on the phone. So Sonny met him out and told him what the deal was. And he says, all right, uh, uh, 15,000, I'll take care of it. And Sonny knew it was like 10 grand. It's just fines, lawyers, and he might go to jail. So um, what happened was that senator, I don't want to use his name, but he, <laughs> you use people's names, sometimes you get in trouble. So he went to the DMV because that was he was head of the DMV at the time. And he went in there, went to the computer. That was it. That was it. No record on it. You know, it's interesting that, no you're, record of it. that you're explaining this because this is like what happens in the criminal justice system yeah. now. Like yeah. the guys with the money, yeah. unless they really screw up, like you look at the Sam Bankman free yeah. issue where- Well, he got freed at one point, then they locked him back up. Yeah, and now yeah. he's in jail now yeah. because he just gets so many chances. But the average person that doesn't have his money or power yeah. is not going through all that if they're wrapped up like that. Yeah. The same thing with Trump, the same thing yeah. with all these guys with money. And I told my son, my oldest son for years, you know, every year he was like president of the seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade. He wanted to be president of the United States. Now he's into marketing, thank God. <laughs> you know, helps me out, helps, you know. So I told him, I sat him down one day and I said, because I, you know, he didn't know me in that business. I mean, I was, he was, a, he, that's another story. But uh, I said, think about it. I said, would you spend $50 million of your own personal wealth to become a U.S. senator? Does that make sense to you? And to make $195,000 a year. But they get way more than that they in kickbacks. Yes. Yeah. Look at McConnell. He, yeah. They said his net worth like, what, 50 or 60 All million? I think, yeah. I think 10 years ago, I saw, it was a stat out there 10 years ago. They said 53% of the Congress, the House and the Senate, were multi, multi-millionaires. Now, how do they represent anybody on the street? They don't. They don't. Yeah. They don't. But if you know those people, 
if you have connections, you get things done. So when's like the first time it starts to really turn where you're starting to do illegal activities in this business, where it's not just you're just like, the oh, I'm not really a part of this. I'm just working for it. I got plausible deniability. The, the legal, well, the legal activities I can talk about. Um, he put me in, he always put me in bad situations where he liked to bet. He, he gambled a lot. This is your boss. Yeah. Okay. And one night we're leaving this political function. It was uh, a guy running for county executive, Baltimore County. And we're dressed up and I hate it. I'm, you made a comment years ago, you like to wear shorts and shirt. Yeah. I was the same. I didn't like getting dressed up. He's like, brother, you got to get dressed up. And how old are you at this time? Uh, it's probably two years in. Going on two years in. Okay. So he goes, uh, we leave this political event. He goes, get in my car. We're going for a ride. I'm thinking, okay, maybe we're going to go look at a new spot or something. But we went way out in the county. Now, mind you, these back the poker machines, they were only illegal in two jurisdictions, Baltimore County, Baltimore City. Everywhere else in the state, illegal. Crazy, isn't it? Yeah. But all the key politicians were from Baltimore City, Baltimore County. So it makes sense. It adds up. Yeah. Yeah. So we're driving up. We're, I mean, we're driving out to Harford County, and um, we pull up to this bar, and it's a fucking redneck bar. No no offense to rednecks. <laughs> I had, a lot of my customers were rednecks. I mean, no offense to them. But it had, I mean, trucks, Confederate flags. I mean, it was like one of those bars. Dirt. I'm like, what the fuck are we doing out here? I'm thinking like. And I didn't have my piece with me. I left it in my car, you know, because we were going to this political event. I left it, left it in my car. I'm with him. And you're legally allowed to carry? No. Uh, even as a service member, a former service member, you can carry at that time? No. I, eventually I did, but not at that point. Uh -huh. I was, was kind of shooting the dice with that. So you're already doing something illegal. Already doing something. <laughs> Going I, into know, this. I didn't think it would be illegal. <laughs> carrying around a gun? You're 25 years old. It's just casual back then? Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of casual. Okay. Because um, you think you're never going to get caught. That's but, um, true. I mean, eventually, I mean, when I when I bought the bar, I bought the bar '93, which is getting close. I was illegally could carry, and then, but prior to that, I didn't. I didn't have a license. Yeah, but Paul, you don't think that there's any sort of illegality with you're working for a vending machine company <laughs> and you carried a gun? Like you, you ask one of these vending guys now, they're not carrying guns. It's just a little wild, don't you think? It was like I said, it was like playing cops and robbers for real. Okay, it was like, am I going to get caught or not? It, it was it. I guess it was kind of like a high. I mean, so by that point, you know, you're not becoming a cop or an FBI agent. There's yeah, no way. Yeah, I pretty much know because, you know, once I started collecting, like doing, I was a route man doing collections because he's out running around with broads and uh, I'm doing his collections and all, you know, I was getting like a $2,000 extra stipend a month. And then if I did other things, uh, I would get paid extra money if I did other things. All right. So this event happens. What happens? So we next? go, this event happens. We go out into uh, the county somewhere. And there's like spots right in front of this bar, you know. And I'm thinking, like, dude, why don't you park right out front? There's it was always a reason why he did things, and I, it, it always was a reason. So he's looking around, looking around, and he's looking for somebody. So we pull out, and he, he parks behind the building, like two buildings down. So we go in this place. I said, man, I think we're a little overdressed for this place, you know, because it's you know you hear country music and all. And I, maybe you got this when you went to prison, but if you ever walk into a place and you walk in, everybody fucking stops. I think the fucking jukebox stopped. We walk in there, open the door. It was like, everybody's like, like, who the fuck are these guys? I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy. I'm, then I got like this feeling in my gut, like, what am I, what the fuck am I doing here? So in, in sunny fashion, you know, he's, he always had to sit facing the door. Always had to see, because he, he was getting, I was finding he had a bad reputation. He was stiffing people. He was fucking with the other operators, like, 
if, if one of their accounts was calling us up, he would try to jump in and get the account and say, oh, man, I didn't know it was your account. You know, they came to me for money, and he was playing like stupid. But he started stepping on their toes, you know, on their toes too. And uh, we sit down, he orders a beer, throws up cash. I'm thinking, like, we usually run a tab. And he says, stick by. He's, he goes, keep an eye on me. I said, okay, all right. He goes to the jukebox, and I'm thinking, like, that motherfucker better not play any fucking uh, country. He like country, you know. And uh, I said, uh, Barbara Streisand or something. I said, man, because we're going to be jumped. So I'm watching him drinking my beer. Now, in my, this guy comes walking in, this long-haired guy comes walking in, and he sees Sonny, and he gets a drink, and he puts it down, and he goes over to the jukebox, and I see him tap him on the shoulder. And I'm thinking, like, I, I, never, I didn't know the guy. I'd never seen him before. So I'm thinking, like, okay. So I stand up, and I always had a roll of quarters on me. And the reason I had a roll of quarters, like, we had the answering service. So back then, you had pay phones, and I called the answering service. They pushed two or three, and they say, Oh, you have a call at Pagoda Lounge or whatever, you know. So I always had a roll of quarters on me. So I get up, I see him walk outside, and he nods to me like, you know, we're going outside. So I'm like, all right. So I put these quarters in my hand. I'm, I'm walking. The guy didn't see me walking. So by the time I get outside, they're scuffling. I mean, and Sonny's not a – he talked a lot of shit, but he wasn't a tough guy. I mean, he, you know, oh, this and that. But he, he, he couldn't back, back anything up. So the guy had him, was like, you know, bang, you know, so I – I'm thinking, oh, I can't get, like, let him get fucked up, you know. So I go over, grab the guy, throw the guy down on the ground, you know, pretty pretty easy. And then he gets up, who the fuck are you? And I said, I always would have these crazy one-liners. I said, I'm the guy who's going to ruin your fucking night. I don't know where, I always would come up with these crazy one-liners in like a situation like that. So he stands up and he had, he, I know he had a fucking Bowie knife. He had a Bowie knife, right? And I'm thinking like, he starts, He's coming at me, and I guess I don't know if he's let, like he's going to hit me. And I see him reaching back, trying to grab that, looking to grab the knife, or trying to scare me, maybe. So I just—I mean—he swung at me, and I just caught him top of the head with a handful of quarters, which is like having steel in your hands. And he just bang—he just hit the dirt. And I'm like, "Son, let's get the fuck out of here." So Sonny goes there, right? Sonny's kicking his shit out, kicking him in the face, and all. People are coming out. I said, "Let's get the fuck out of here, man." I said, we're, "Before we get, you know, more." trouble he's like all right so i drag him off and that's why i hid the car around the corner there so we drive off and i'm thinking like what the fuck did you get me into man he goes uh oh i plan to meet that guy here i said you plan to meet him here i said you knew you were gonna fight him he goes oh no no he goes you're gonna fight him he goes i just told him to meet me here and i said what the fuck was this about but this was another guy he was laying bets off with not a he bet he bet up with a lot of people. There's a guy, an Italian guy, who was connected. He would bet uh, in the city, but he never stiffed him because this guy was connected to Jersey. But this guy, he would lay bets off too. <coughs> Excuse me. And he said he he won like ten grand last month, but he was down seven. And he said, "Fuck you, my pan. I'm not fuck you, I'm my pan you." And that's how he was. If you owed him a nickel, he wants your money. He'd stomp your head in the dirt for a nickel. But if you, well, he wouldn't. He could get me or somebody else to do it. But he said, um, he told the guy, you know, I'm, I'm going to fucking give you the money. And he goes, when I see you, I'm going to fuck you up. So Sonny goes, I'll make it easy. I'll meet you wherever you want me to meet you. So that's why he went to this bar. So I said, man, I'm driving back. And I'm like pissed. I'm like, dude, man, you know, you knew this was going to happen. What if I wasn't here? He goes, well, I wouldn't have been out here if you weren't here. I wasn't coming up here without you. 
I said, man, this, I said, this is fucked up, man. This shit's got to stop. You know, I don't need any more. And he's like, it was always money. So he said, open the brief, open like thing. You know, there's a glove box, open a glove box. And there's an envelope there. He goes, take it, it's yours. So what the fuck is this? He's like, take it, it's yours. Open up, it's two grand in there. I said, what's this for? He goes, for taking care of my problem. So you were becoming like the enforcer a little bit for this. Yeah, and I did, and I did, you know, and I was drinking a lot, and you know, if if I don't drink like I used to, but I was drinking a lot too. What and when you drink, sometimes you're a different person. I I was, my wife would say, you know, she used to call me a, a you were a criminal back then. Did she, you look at yourself as a criminal? Oh no. <laughs> why? Why did you think? Because you knew right from wrong. Like you knew that this. Is... I, yeah, I knew I was doing things that are illegal. That are illegal. But I'm like, I'm not out. You know, I'm not out whacking people. I'm not doing shit like that. So I mean, what's like the worst thing you were doing during that time period? Oh, I, I pointed guns at people. I mean, just casually. Well, not casually. I mean, but like you were okay with doing it. Like you were. I, I didn't like to do it, but sometimes that's all somebody understands is is the threat of violence. Or the, or the actual violence happening to you. And this is just to collect money. It wasn't all the accounts. It was like, we had a lot of accounts, we had no problems. It was always the same accounts where there were dirt bags, you know, and like, you know, running horrors or drugs. And I'd get, I would go, and we we're making a lot of money at some of these spots. And I'd go in there and say, look, man, you can't have, you know, prostitutes and, and drugs in here all night because we're going to, you're going to lose a spot, go to jail, and we're going to lose a spot. And we got, you know, 50, 60 grand tied up in here. And I'll give you this one crazy story that this one guy I had to straighten out. He, um, he's the only place that, he's the only guy that had my home phone number because we're making so much money there, about 10000 a week. And I would have to go over like every day and dump the machines. And, and dumping the machines means that if the police would come in and raid, if you let money all there all week long, they get all the money. So you would dump machines periodically that did real well. That way they're not in the machines. And you give it to the owners of the bar, and they'd use it for cash and checks or for gambling, or they'd hide it somewhere. So that way, if you got raided in the middle of the week, they're not getting all your money. So this particular guy had my home phone number, and he called me up like 3.30 in the morning. He's like, I need a dump. I need a dump. This guy was Richie Stump. Um, crazy. He always wore, always wore shorts. He, had a, he always wore a Hawaiian shirt. He had one of those haircuts. What do they call it? Hair like this, like down on the back. Had a big comb. And Sonny would call him Stutterfuck. I'm like, man, I thought that was rude. Why do you call this guy Stutterfuck? I felt bad for him. But then after a while, knowing the guy, I'm thinking like, he had such a bad coke problem. That's why I stutter all the time. You know, because he's just doing so much coke. So anyway, I got 3.30 in the morning, I go over there. And he had a front bar. It was, a, it was, a, it was like a nightclub bar. This big, huge front bar. And then he had these heavy doors. And in the back was another bar. He had a bar there, pool tables, and our poker machines. And he ran that was an after-hours place, and it had a back door to get to it. So when the bar closed, I mean, he had drug dealers, uh, you know, uh, uh, pe people who were ga gamblers, uh, bookies. He knew all those guys, and they would come in there and play cards all night because they're all high. They're standing up. All then he would have prostitutes in there. So this particular night, he calls me up. I need a dump. I need a dump. I get here at four o'clock in the morning, and we had to come around the back down an alley. Cause it was a back door and I'm beating on the door. I hear this music. What the fuck? You told me to come over here. It's open. The fucking thing's open. It's four o'clock and it was the bar closed at two. So you ever see Caligula? No, it's a Caligula. <laughs> I can't even say it. <laughs> it, it was a, about the debauchery in Rome about 
all the sex parties and shit they would have. So when I pulled this, I pulled this door open. I'm like, what the fuck? There's three guys playing the poker machines. One guy's getting a job, you know, by a, a blowjob. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Blow, no, yeah. So you don't have to censor yeah, it. One, yeah, one guy's yeah, getting a, getting a blowjob. One guy's banging a broad over the pool table. And you know, there's lines of coke, and he's and and Richie's dancing around. Hey, Paul. He's fucking high. He's like, hey, hey, guy, good to see. You. I need a dump. I said, why isn't this door locked? Oh, I knew you were coming. I said, you stupid motherfucker. I said, that door's got to be locked. I said, I mean, we had a hundred grand invested in this spot. We're making ten thousand a week, but we don't want to lose it for because this guy was trouble. And I said, get these people away from these machines. You know, I did, I got to get in there and you know, dump the machines. So he scoots them all over. He does line. He puts some lines on the bar. They go over there and dump the machines. I think I dumped like five thousand. So he needed that money because these guys were cashing checks. They're, when they're winning, he's paying them back. So he went through all his money. So he needed more money to, to keep these guys there. And I had him in his office. I said, man, I said, you're fucking up. I said, that door should be locked. I said, I just pulled it open. What if a cop came back, drove back? What if somebody dropped a dime saying you're having after-hours parties? They pull that door open. They see prostitutes. They see sex acts going on. There's a bag of cocaine on the bar. I mean... You're out of business, and then we're out. We're out a hundred grand, you know. So, oh no, don't tell Sonny. I said, yeah, I'm gonna fucking tell Sonny. You know, I said, yeah, I said this happens again. There's gonna be a problem. He didn't believe me that I can be a problem. There was a problem. Next time I went back and it happened again, I had to pin him around a little bit, push him through the wall, push him so hard his, his shoulder blade and his head was kind of like indented into the wall in his office. And I, I was so, I, I was so enraged. I pulled my revolver out. And uh, I, well, I wasn't going to kill the guy, but I mean, I, I mean, you ever be that mad? You ever have that mad where you would want to do harm to somebody? That's how enraged I was, because you're calling me up consistently in the middle of the night to come over here, and you're just fucking up, and we're going to lose, we're losing, we're going to lose money. And by that time, I, I, I messed him up. I beat him up pretty good. Uh, it stopped for a while. He, he you know, because the drawer was short, and we found out he wasn't paying his electric bill. And it kind of all was escalating. That this my anger, like you're, you know, you're going to screw us out of all this money we have in there. So Sonny tells him, you know, I'm, we're going to put Paulie in with you. Me, I'm going to be your partner. I say, there's no fucking way I want to be that guy's partner. I'm, a, I'm a babysitting the guy now. He goes, no, 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 no. You, you know, you, I said, I, I said, I, yeah, I want to go in a bar one day, but I'm not being his fucking partner. He goes, well, you better figure something out. So well. He finds his partner, um, this guy named Paul Monk, who's got an insurance company. So we did a background check. He owns an insurance company and all. And uh, everything's running smooth. He's taking care of things and all. So then they had this idea that we're making so much money here. There's a bar, bar down the street called Clayton's that was for sale. Much smaller, but he said, hey, we can do the same thing down there. We can push some of these guys down to play because they're lining up here, down there after hours. You know, maybe we'll double our money, you know. So... It worked for it worked for a while, and then I find out this guy Paul is a big coke dealer. I said, "Holy fuck! This is putting the damn fucking uh, fox in the hen house." I'm like, "So, I, so Sonny goes, you need to go over there and straighten this out." I'm like, "What the fuck do you want me to do? You know, we're making money. We know we're making money off of the the, the guy staying late, him providing them drugs to keep them up all night." The prostitution, I mean, 
that that was her that was her thing. But we're we're benefiting from it. So I said, "What do you what do you want to do? What do you want to do, this Paul guy? What do you, what do you want me to say?" So that scare you at all? Knowing yeah. like they, that that's a real the realities of that life and and that you are around yeah, that. Yeah, it, it caused me to it caused me to sleep with a thirty eight under my pillow for years, even when I got out. And to this day, I still have a thirty eight right when I might have been. Now, when you had this gun and you were carrying it around, you were pointing it at people when you had to. Did you ever have the intent to kill these people? You have. Like, would you have been comfortable pulling the trigger if it came down to it, or was it more just this, a show? It's like, this is what I would say, that most people, you kind of know people. Like, if you know somebody's, you're in prison, you may know you may know somebody's going to back off. If you say, I'm going to bust you up or whatever, they may back off. Okay. You know, if you, you're mad enough to say, and, and sometimes it was like, we got jumped one night, and we were getting our ass, I mean, we were getting fucked, we were getting fucked up, five guys jumped us. And it was some some girl... Sonny was running with, and her boyfriend was like this bodybuilder. He found out about it, and he was getting wet. And I and three guys were jump kicking me and all. And it was funny. One guy, he was like fucking punch, you know, punch me in the back. And I heard his ah, he hit my fucking revolver with his fist. So I'm on the ground. I'm like I'm like getting mad. So I just pulled that fucker out. And said, all right, back the fuck up, or you're not going home. And I said, get the fuck off him. No one pressed you. Well. I was threatened that I was going to get whacked because they weren't armed at the time. But um, I think I was about two times I was threatened I was going to get killed. When you were in the military, were you doing any acts of violence or anything, or were you not in the heat of a war? No wars. It was it was peacetime. But I mean, there's a certain you're trained to kill. Though. You're trained to kill, and there's a certain. I always say it's brainwashing. You go in there to shave your head. Everybody looks alike, and you you, you march and you sing songs about killing people and oh and. And then he, you do things that you didn't think you could do. You go out and run 15 miles, 1,000 push-ups a day. You're doing all this crazy shit. So they make you, they, it's like brainwashing. They, they make you like kind of invincible. And I, and I had that. You, get, you have that for a while when you get out because you think that not, you can, nothing's going to happen to you. No. You know, nothing's going to happen to you. Now, a lot of our guests that come on the show, usually their story ends with prison. You know, you don't get arrested by any of the stuff that you're involved with. No, I mean, I had... You get out of the lifestyle. Well, I got out, thank God, but I, I was... Uh, what kind of pushed me, if we have time, what kind of pushed me in that direction was... It was in uh, 90... He split from his partner for different reasons. 95, 94 to 95. So it's like a five-year run you had. Yeah, it was six years I got out in 96. I started noticing Crown Vicks at some of the spots we were at. Uh, undercover cops. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing all the collections and I'm telling Sonny, Davey, I see Crown Vicks here outside my apartment. Uh, you know, uh, one of those things. So I said, I'm just telling you. But you always thought he was 20 years older than me. I didn't know. I said, I'm on the streets. You're not, you're not around. You're going to fucking Vegas. You're going here. You're going there. So then uh, a year went by, a year of this, these Crown Vicks, and I stopped, stopped seeing them. And he went home. He would, he would go home on Fridays and he got mail. And he got this by mistake from his lawyer. From, it was a total mistake. He got a letter from the phone company at the time, and it said, the feds no longer request any more wiretaps from your phone. And he's like, what? And he gets a lawyer, and the lawyer says, you should have never got that. It was a mistake by the phone company. So his lawyer's like, you know, what do you do? And he's telling him, he goes, well, he, was, he wasn't home much, just on the weekends. He goes, if your home phone's tapped, your shop phone's tapped, 
and anybody you talk to, everybody, my, my, I owned a bar at the time, my bar phone, my house phone. In fact, when the feds came to see me, they had canceled checks, they had conversations, parts of conversations, and they had me going in and out of different bars, you know, because they, this was uh So the feds do come to see you. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we split up. We, 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 ended, we ended it. We ended it in a bad way. We, 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 we ended it in a pretty bad way. Um, he, he was trying to, he wanted me to buy the company, and I'm like, no fucking way. I said, it's only been a year. The feds can take forever. I said, I don't want it. He was trying to push everything on me. So then he had to ask at me, and I had the bar, and he's like, and he starts piecing off his company, you know, 25 here, 25. So other vendors were buying his spot. So I go in the shop one day. We're barely talking. He's leaving me notes, and it was a contract. Signed this contract, you know, five-year contract with your bar, the curb shop, and me. And I fucking ripped it up. Fucking ripped up, left on the table. I left my fucking keys there. I locked the shop up. I threw my fucking key in the mail, mail slot. So he calls me up. You motherfucker. Oh, 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 this is 96. How dare you? All I've done for you. Uh, he starts threatening, threatening me. He says, oh, okay. You, you got to come over here and straighten this out. I said, all right, we'll straighten it out. So I drove over there and I had my my uh, my pistol in my pocket. Because he was like enraged. I knew he had an m 1911 he had. But see, uh, from a previous life, he had a felony charge. I don't want to go into that, but that he couldn't legally own a gun. So I go in there, he's telling me to sign this thing and all. I said, I'm not fucking signing it, you know. He goes, well, I'm going to do this and that. And, you, you know, you leave me, your business isn't safe, this and that. And she was threatening me. And I said, I'll tell you what, you know, I'll buy the equipment from you, 25 grand, because it was his equipment. I said, I'm not signing the contract. I'm not going with any other operator. You at least owe me that. I mean, all the shit I did for him, I said, I'm not signing a contract that you're going to flip it over to XYZ Venting, and they're going to control my shit. I'm not doing it. I'll pay you for the machines. And uh, he's like, oh, you know, and he's bitching about it. So I told him, I said, uh, he started threatening me, and I, 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 he heard a click in my pocket. He heard a click of my revolver. And I knew him. He, he was a, a voice, not a, you know, and he got white. He got white. I just told him, I said, look, I said, uh, if anybody, this, this is the last time we're going to talk. I said, and I'll send you the money for the equipment. I said, if anybody comes sniffing around my place, calls me, shows up, feds, whatever, I said, uh, you're not going to be around. And I said, uh, to keep an eye on your family. So he said, this, he didn't say shit. And I walked, I backed out of here and walked out. That's the last time I saw him. <clears throat> 96, but then 2000, the feds called me. I four, talk, year, four years later. I haven't talked. You know, they had nothing but time. Yeah. So they were they were watching us in 90, 94, 90, 94, 95. I haven't talked to them since 96. They call me. I'm in an apartment. I'm building I'm building a 3,500-square-foot house on, on a half acre, you know, my dream house. All because of the bar business you got Yeah, I was into. doing well. I sold my first house, made 60 grand. I mean, I was making 110,000. I, I knew to show enough, because my CPA was good, show enough to live. So... um. They, they call me on my phone at the apartment. I'm like, how the fuck they get the, they get everything. And she says, this is Agent Smith. And I said, what can I do for you? She goes, uh, we need to come talk to you tomorrow. And I'm like, what about? Oh, we can't say. You at this address, and she knew the apartment address. And I said, uh, 685-2022. She said, what's that? I said, my attorney. Click, she slammed, she fucking slammed the phone down. And you notice how, sometimes how hard it is to get to an attorney I may call, you may call, you may get them maybe on a break, hour later, call you in the afternoon next day. It wasn't five, five. It's a chase to fucking call lawyers. It wasn't five minutes. 
My phone's ringing. It's my lawyer. Because it was the feds, the IRS. And he's like, Paul? I said, yeah. He goes, Sydney. He goes, you know what it's about? I said, yeah. He goes, she's told me she's coming to talk to you tomorrow. or She's dragging your ass before a grand jury. What do you want to do? I said, well, I guess she's coming to see me tomorrow. He goes, you want me there? I said, no, I know what it's about. But they showed up the next day, flipped their badges, they come in. She was talking to me, asked me questions, had canceled checks, saying, oh, we know you're, you knew, we knew, you knew how much money he was making. You're going in this bar and this bar this time. And I said, Agent Smith, I said, did you have cameras in the bar? I said, how do you know, how do you know what I'm doing in those bars? I could be going in there fixing stuff. You, you don't know what I'm doing in those bars. It's all speculation, you know? Well, this and this, we had this conversation. I said, that, I don't know, it doesn't mean anything. I don't know, it's, you got nothing. So uh, she starts asking about the curb shop, my bar. She goes, oh, we know you have two poker machines and it's just us talking. You know, you pay off your customers, but it's just us talking, you know, it's okay and all. And the one agent sitting at the end of the table, he didn't say one fucking word the whole 45 minutes. He just sat there taking notes, looking at me. Didn't say a fucking thing. And she goes, it's just us talking. I said, you know, uh, uh, I'm not going to answer that line of questioning. I'm not going to incriminate myself. I said, you want to talk about something else? You want to talk about brother-in-law? I talked about these checks. I talked about these, these accounts you saw me going into. I said, I, I've answered everything I want to answer. I said, so uh, anything else you need, call my attorney. Have a nice day. Close her book up. She was pissed. Well, we need to go out the back, back way. I was on the first floor in the apartment. I was waiting for my house to be built. So they go out the slider. My wife goes, why did they go out the slider? I said, she's looking around for like a Ming vase or something. She's looking for something incriminating, like I have all, like I have all this money or something, you know. So uh, that was uh, that was 2000. That was the first and last time you talked to the Fed? No, no. They came back. 2004. Four years later again. I'm at the bar. Oh, I'm wow. at the bar. She calls me at the bar. And I'm in my big house at this time. And she goes, this is Agent Smith. She goes, we need to come serve you your material witness, uh, the United States versus Sonny Warner. He got arrested. He got arrested. Um, it like 22 counts, uh, racketeering, money laundering, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it was, you know, this is this, they, they give you all these, you know, charges facing seven or eight years in jail. She goes, we need to come serve you. I'm thinking, oh, fuck, I thought this was over. So I called my attorney up. I'm like, man, he goes, you, you, you don't want to be on trial. You don't know what the fuck they want to ask you. <clears throat> I said, well, what? he goes, I tell you what, he said with the federal beef, when she says, I'm going to come serve you, you could be served as a witness. He told me they have 30 days from the time they notify you to serve you. I don't know, that factual or not, but that's what he told me. So the time's kicking down, one day, two days, three days. Four. I lost like 15 pounds in 20 days. I need to lose weight, but not like that, you know? It's a hell of a way to lose weight. Yeah. So on the 28th day, it's all over the radio. It's all over TV. It's all over the paper. They got him on three counts. He ended up doing it in 18 months. 18 months of federal prison. He would, uh, they got her for uh, putting $1.25 million in two personal accounts in two years where he said he made no money. And then when he got out, he had paid down the 700000 So I always told me, I thought, he thought I was an idiot. I said, why don't you just pay some taxes? He didn't want to pay any taxes. You got to pay something. I said, pay yeah. something because, and they called up to him. But I was a stupid kid. I was 20 years younger. You know, I'm paying taxes. I'm showing... I mean, I made a lot of money today, but I mean, I showed enough that when the feds came and looked at me, I was okay. But I was thinking about something last week. 
four months before the feds came, I had this audit. The state called me up, and they served me and served my accountant, the state of Maryland. And they said, we're doing a complete audit of you, personal business. I said, okay. So um, my accountant calls me and says, what, who the fuck did you piss off? I said, what do you mean? He goes, I haven't had an audit like this in 35 years. And this is a state audit. He goes, I'm talking federal. It's worse than a federal audit. So I'm thinking my brother-in-law dropped a dime on me. So they they um, got all my shit. I knew I knew what I was doing wrong. Um, I did something to kind of fuck them over. I don't know if I should say. say. <laughs> so when they came, when they, it's kind of funny. You might get a kick out of this. I learned some crazy shit from Sonny. That's one thing. So when she, I had four boxes. You had to keep four years of shit in your bar, and it was all in beer boxes with manila envelopes every month, 12 months, four boxes. Yeah. So he's like, you got to bring these boxes down here Monday morning. This was a Thursday. So I'm like, fuck, man, I don't want to look through my shit. Man, I knew I knew what I did. I, I know what I was doing wrong, you know, money laundering, things, clipping and this and that. So I fucking hosed all the boxes down with water. You hosed them with water? Yeah, I stuck them outside. It was sunny out, stuck them outside. And I threw bread in them and shit. And my place was like by a river. And fucking rats were eating holes in them and uh, roaches got in them and all kinds of bugs. And then I put them back in a bar and paper that was like stuck together and all. So that. I took him down Sunday. I met my accountant Sunday. I took him down to his office. And I'm carrying him, and he's like, what the fuck? He goes, what the fuck happened? It's your boxes. I said, I said, it was unfortunate. My, I had it in the bar. I had a water heater. It was called a low boy. And there, it was mounted in the ceiling because there wasn't a lot of space. And I had to replace it a year ago. So my story was, this is, this is what happened. The water heater busted, and all my boxes were underneath the water heater. And when the busted, it soaked the fucking boxes, and Rodents got in there, say, hey, these, they called, and they were bitching, you know, there's something wrong, this paper, I can't get this shit apart. <laughs> they're fucking, they're freaking out. It was, it was her and her boss going through all my shit. So they were mad. So they went through it, and she said, um, oh, we found, you, you're stealing $100 a day from your retro tapes. I said, what? What? You know, it's not computing $100. So I said, give me the tape. This is after a month. So I got the tape, and I went through it with my, my accountant. He goes, it's like .01. It was an accounting error. So she comes back in and she goes, you need to sign a three-month extension for us to keep looking. And I said, I'm not signing it. I said, I'm not signing it. She goes, you have to sign it. I said, I don't have to do anything. I said, the error you accused me of, $100 a day, you thought you got, oh, you got me for $100 a day over umpteen years. I said, it was .01. It was like a penny. You had, a, you had an addition error. Well, you still need to sign this. I said, I'm not signing it. You call, do what you want. Call my attorney, do whatever. I don't give a shit. I'm not signing it. So she left in a huff. And then two weeks later, she sent me a letter saying my account was clear. But then I go back to four months later when the feds came to see me. I think they sent them in to try to find something to leverage me. I think that's what happened. It didn't work. It didn't work. Do you ever think that it could have been you? that got arrested if you stayed on a little bit longer and you didn't get out of that life? Oh, yeah, because, like, I mean, like I said... You could have ended up in prison. Yeah, like the night Paul Monk was murdered, I got called up. His partner, Richie, called me up to go over there. And um, I show up because he goes, you know, I had a gun and all. We didn't know if somebody's coming against us and all. And they, they called me over and they're talking to me, what's your name, where are we at, you know. They didn't drag me in, but they had all my information. Who can we talk to to prove if you were where you were at? I, and then Richie's like, I just called him. I said, my wife's home. Go see my wife. You know, I, I just left the house. So, I mean, I was very, it's not wood, but I was very lucky 
Is, does, do you think about that now? Like how you live your life now? Do you appreciate maybe your life a little bit more? Yeah, I, I do because, um, you know, I think money can blind you and, and it does. And, and you tend to maybe you overlook things or maybe don't, don't look at things a certain way. You know, um, I was making good money and, and you know, I, when I, when I opened up off the bar in 93, I was still with them. And then 96, I stopped seeing them. It took a few years for me not to run into people that were in that business, which, which I was glad. And even my, like I said, I was a different person, but I tell these stories and I was, there's crazier stories. I mean, if you had three days, I could tell you crazy stories that you wouldn't believe that the shit he got me into. But my kids didn't know, like he was godfather of my oldest son. There's pictures in church and all. Um, when I left him, my son was three and a half. My youngest wasn't even born yet. The only reason my son found out about this, he knew we had family we didn't talk to, that I had a manuscript I was working on years ago in a box, and he, he was 14 looking at it. He's like, did this, he's reading, he's like, did this stuff happen? I said, well, yeah, it's, it's based on some reality, but it's, yeah, some of that stuff happened. But as now they're older, and I tell them more stories that were, my wife's like, what, why'd you never tell me that? I'm like, I didn't tell her a lot of things. And I would leave the house, say, don't answer the phone, don't go to their door, don't talk to anybody. Somebody pulls, do not say anything. I tell them that all the time. But it was kind of, I look back, it was, like I said, it was like playing cops and robbers for real, but there's, I didn't think of the repercussions until I think the, the Paul Monk thing when he got, when he got murdered, and then when the feds were, were on me, that could have been pretty, pretty heavy. Now, what's your motivation to like share your story now and not just keep it in the past? I don't know. I mean, it's, I mean, partly I, I think it's a story. I, I think there's a story there that maybe people would want to hear or see or, you know, watch. And just that don't, you know, it's easy to be sucked up in something over fame in a way. Not that I was famous, but you felt like you're somebody when you went in, they cleared these spaces for you. Oh, you know, and it was the same meeting the politicians. They come over, shake my hand. They didn't know my name, but they knew I was with Sonny. You know, and it's just, that's, it's not all what it's cracked up to be. Are you sharing it for motivational purposes or is it more about the financial gains that could come from sharing a crazy story? I think it's kind of both because, you know, when I was, you know, writing with my my, my co-writer, Darren Hobson, that I I forgot about things. Um, I'd forgotten about Phil. He gave me my first gun. It was a twenty-two. A judge here, a judge gives me a gun and tells me, you didn't get it from me. So I started remembering all these things. I'm thinking like, yeah, that was, why, why was I wrapped up in that? You know, it just, and I was lucky to get through it. And, and I think the other motiv- motivation thing was when my son was an infant, you know, three years, you know, and I'm looking at him and I'm doing these crazy things, you know, dealing, we had to deal with some Italians at one point. I'm thinking like, man, I want to be around to see my kids, kids grow up and be successful and not, you always want your kids to do better than you. And I, I don't want them to get in any trouble, you know? So they didn't know that for years, they didn't know, they knew I owned a bar. That was it. And uh, they didn't know that, that part of my life. Are you worried that people might, you know, take your story in a way where they might think that you're promoting that lifestyle by sharing about it? That they may, people can think what they want. I mean, it's, you know, it's, you know, uh, I think it's an interesting story. Um, like I said, I wrote a book about it. We made money on the book. Um, but I, I think it's a story, too, that, the, you know, things aren't always rosy out there. <laughs> you know, you know, you, you had the fast money, and you're thinking, you, you, get, you get sucked into it. You get like, man, 
And it just what just was it wasn't just my salary, was money for doing this, money for doing that one. I mean, I had more money at that time than I knew what to do with. And but that shouldn't be a driving factor. I mean, you know, if you're making money, great, but be happy doing it and and hopefully there's no repercussions about how you're making the money. What do you want the biggest takeaway to be for someone that hears your story, whether it's a kid or an adult? What do you want them to learn from you? Don't play with bad guys. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. Don't play with bad guys because bad things happen. That's good. Well, Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show thank today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great. pleasure talking to you and hearing your story. And, you know, it's good for the audience to hear about stories that don't necessarily end bad. They have bad elements yeah. to it, but there, there could be some good and, and like avoiding, avoiding the bad. Yeah, because yeah, we hear about the trenches people go through yeah. because of their decisions. Now we're hearing the other side of it, of what could have been, but it didn't happen. Yeah, I was very lucky. Yeah, and hopefully that serves as like a as a guidance and, and kind of like a message to people that might be engaged in stuff now that haven't been caught. Yeah, think about the long, long-term long ramifications because it's uh, life's short. Yeah. yeah. You know, life's short. And, and I was in the Army for four years, and that's as close to prison as I want to be. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of crazy <laughs> stories about the Army and prison and, and, and all that type of stuff. <laughs> But yeah, Paul, thank you and have a safe trip back. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It was great.